0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3.
1: Continuing our studies in 2 Timothy, looking today at chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, hear the word of God. You,
0: however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for
1: salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Thanks to the Lord, his word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that as we study this passage this morning, that we would indeed meet
0: with you, that we would hear from you in the study of your word, by your Holy Spirit.
1: Father, open our eyes, open our ears, that we would see, that we would hear. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage represents a contrast twice in the passage at the beginning and at the middle, Paul says to Timothy, But you but you making a distinction.
0: Now if you if you read before this passage or perhaps were here last Sunday, you know what Paul is making the contrast with, He's talking about in uh, the verses just prior to this text, about the situation with the People that Timothy would encounter in the last days, which, of course, we said biblically is defined as the time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. People were like this in Timothy's day, Paul says, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. They were that way in Timothy's day, uh, as well as we know people who are that way today. After all, Paul said to Timothy, avoid such people, which... Indicates they were around uh, when Timothy was, but he talks about these people, and as we saw last time, he, he describes them basically in terms of their bad character, which we just read a few examples of. Uh, he describes them in terms of their their bad religion. He says of such people in verse five, they have the appearance of godliness. You know, outwardly they seem to look more or less like the real thing. But, he says, they deny its power. So, in short, if we want to understand what Paul is saying, they, they look like Christians. They seem to pretend to be Christians on the outside, but there's no real heart transformation. They, they, they don't only, not only don't have the power of the risen Christ in them, but they even deny it. So, there's this bad religion, this bad influence that they have among people. He mentions those who creep into households and uh, particularly try to influence women. Uh, in, in their false teaching, uh, women who are not well-grounded in truth, uh, women who particularly seem to be led by impulse uh, in their actions, and Paul ends simply by saying they won't get very far. Their folly will be plain, their ways evident to all. Now, having drawn that rather bleak picture that we saw last time, he now introduces the contrast. Timothy, but you. As it says in the ESV, you, you, however, uh, could be rendered, but you, uh, as it is uh, in verse fourteen, but you, but as for you, so Paul is saying to his protege, you know, here's the kind of people you're going to encounter. You'll always have them. They're never going to go away. This kind of situation will be here until Christ returns. But you're going to be different. You're going to be in their midst, but you must not be like them. And what Paul says to Timothy is exactly what he would say to us and what we need to hear today as well. Uh, whether it's in your neighborhoods or in your workplace or your school, wherever it is, you're going to encounter people like this, uh, people of bad character, people whose, uh, whose religion is basically a sham, uh, and people who have a bad influence on others. But as God's people, even as we're may, we may be in the midst of them, we are to be distinct From them. Paul would say the same thing to us, but as for you, your Christian brother or sister. Now, what does he say to Timothy? He points out a couple of things to Timothy that that, that will help him to stand distinct from the world. What are they? Well, the first thing Paul puts before Timothy is the necessity, the, the power of a good example. Power of a good example. After all, he's been describing what what people see all around. Well, is there something different? Can we see a different pattern than that? And Paul sets himself before Timothy as such a pattern. In the place of the bad character of these people who are characterized by the fall, and and by the way, uh, that would include us prior to conversion. This is the way people are in their sin, in their fallenness, apart from Christ. It may be more evident, it may be less evident, but we're all fallen, we're all sinful, uh, and we're all in need of the grace of Christ. But Paul says, instead of seeing that kind of character, look at what you see in me. Look at my character. That's one area of example he mentions, character. Look at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. And we're going to talk a little bit more about teaching in, in a few minutes, uh, but Paul Starts with that, because that's effectively the problem. False teachers who are coming in and teaching things and saying things that just are not biblical, that are not in accord with what Christ has revealed in the Scriptures, as revealed through his apostles. Uh, So I don't want to dwell too much on that, but he does refer to his teaching. He also goes on, as part of his character, to refer to his conduct. The word has to do with his general demeanor, his, his pattern of life. Timothy, you have seen my... Conduct. You've seen the way I live. You've seen the whole tenor of my life. Notice what he goes on to say: not only my conduct, but my aim in life. Some translations render that my purpose uh, my aim in life. In other words, what I have as priorities. You've seen in me the things that motivate me. What it is that moves me. What my purposes, my motivations, my directions are. It says to Timothy: You've seen my faith. Faith in Christ uh, could also be sort of a, a hint at my faithfulness in service. You've seen my patience. Uh, Paul's long suffering, for example, in dealing with, particularly with people, his patience with people. Uh, my love. You have seen my love. He says uh, you have, which would include certainly love to Christ, love toward. Uh, man. By the way, he says, you've seen my love, which would include what he loves. Remember, that was one of the things he points out about the false teachers, about these these people he describes who create times of difficulty. Verse 2, lovers of self, lovers of money. And then in verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That word love occurs there, which, as we said last time, indicates that part of the problem is is misdirected love. Well, Paul says, you've seen my love. You've seen the things that I love. I love Christ, my love for people, my love to see souls one to Jesus, that kind of thing. My steadfastness, which again gets back to this long-suffering or ability to endure uh, in circumstances,
1: which I think leads then to verse 11. But just notice, Paul is not hesitant to contrast
0: himself with those he's described in the first part of this chapter, and is that is that is that boasting, is that pride on Paul's part? Well, no. Paul is simply saying to Timothy, you know, this is what you see in the world, but but look at me as one who has been changed by Christ. Now, Paul uh, would be the first to admit, as in fact he does in Philippians, that he has not yet arrived. He, Paul would never say, "Well, I'm perfect." Paul would acknowledge. Uh, his sin, and his need daily to repent. But what he does is to put himself before Timothy as one who has walked with the Lord and served the Lord for a long time, and as a contrast to what Timothy sees in the world. And he says, look look at me. Look at what you see in me as an example to follow, an example to inspire you and to encourage you. He says, you have followed by teaching my conduct, which means more than he's just Timothy's just kept up with it on Paul's blog. It means that he's committed to it. He's following it as, as a disciple would follow a master. So Paul sets himself up an exa- as an example in terms of his character. Uh, he sets himself up as an example in terms of his suffering. In verse 11, he says, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. Now, it's significant he mentions those places because Timothy was from Lystra. Lystra uh, was a place where Paul suffered, and Timothy probably witnessed that. And maybe just as perhaps Stephen's martyrdom had its impact on Saul of Tarsus, who was there for that event, maybe all suffering and his willing to, willingness to suffer was something that caught Timothy's uh, eye and his attention. We don't know, but Paul does point out to Timothy that Timothy is familiar with what Paul suffered in Timothy's hometown and surrounding area. Uh, Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul endured them. He was willing to go through that, but he also acknowledges the Lord's goodness in delivering him from that. But then he goes into a general principle. Uh, In verse 12, not just me, it's not just Paul. Paul's not some anomaly who is the one who gets beaten or the one who suffers for Christ. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, we need to recognize, Paul says, that my suffering, my persecution is not something
1: unusual. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Well, hopefully it's not because we're obnoxious or we bring it on ourselves. We certainly don't go out seeking it.
0: But there is a fundamental discord between godliness and ungodliness. It goes all the way back to the garden.
1: To Eden, after the fall, and the Lord says, I will put enmity, hostility, war between the seed of the serpent, those who are of the world, and the seed of the woman, those who belong to God, his grace, uh, through faith in Christ, faith in his promises. And
0: there is that God-given antipathy, that hostility. Um, Your obedience, your righteousness, your godliness exposes sin. And the world hates it. It hates to be exposed, and it hates your godliness. It would just assume you join in sin with it. So there's this antipathy. Now, Jesus himself, of course, taught that rather strongly uh, in a number of places. Uh, in the Gospels, where he he just flat out says this is this is going to be
1: this is going to be the case uh, in John fifteen for example, verse eighteen, Jesus said, "If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the
0: world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world." Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If
1: they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Notice how the world treated Jesus. He ended up on a cross. Why are we above Jesus? Why,
0: if we identify ourselves with Jesus, would we expect the world to treat us otherwise than it did Jesus? We're not above our master. And that's why Paul says here, he makes that general statement. All who desire a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, if you're a Christian and you're not in any way in contact with the world, you may not experience any persecution. You have no contact with unbelievers. On the other hand, if you're an unbeliever in the midst of unbelievers, you will not experience persecution. But if you are a Christian and your godly life comes in contact with those who are of an ungodly, unregenerate nature, um. There, There is going to be the offense of the gospel at work. And Paul simply says that, acknowledging that evil people and imposters, he just calls them what they are, will go from bad to worse. Go on has the idea of forward progress, but they progress in wickedness. So there's some irony there. They'll just progress in, in wickedness, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, they do deceive others, but they themselves are self-deceived. And so this persecution takes place in that context. So Paul sets himself, first of all, up as an example uh, and says, Timothy, look at me. Look at what you've seen in me. And we need to remember that. We don't have Paul other than through the writings of Scripture as an example. But that's not to say we haven't had grand examples throughout church history and even today, and that dynamic to be at place even in the church. Paul brings this up in other places. Let me give you just a sample. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. First Thessalonians 1, six, he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. One and the same, basically. Not that he was the Lord, but the same pattern of life. Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Hebrews 13.7, it's not from Paul, but... It says essentially the same thing. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider
1: the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We need to live in such a way, especially
0: if you are a more mature Christian, especially if you were an officer in the church, to where you could say to someone, well, you want to know how to live the Christian life? You want to know how to follow
1: Jesus? Look at me. Again, not a claim of perfection but a claim of consistency, a claim of maturity. Uh, we need that. We
0: need to see what it means to live a Christian life, what it means to follow Christ in terms of a concrete, visible, available example that we know, someone we know, someone we see. And we, see their, we may see their flaws, but we also see their repentance. We see how they draw near to, to Christ.
1: Uh, Paul recognizes how important and how powerful Personal example can be Christian. And so he says to
0: Timothy, You see all this around you, but as for you, Timothy, remember, look at what you have seen in me. Follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, and so forth. Who's the, who are the examples that you see that you look at? Maybe they're examples in church history. And hopefully you have some who are flesh and blood. Who are those you look at and you say, You know, that's what I would like to be. That's who I would like to be when I grow up. Or maybe you're grown up, but you see somebody else and you think, you know, that person really lives out, really embodies what I think a Christian ought to be. And that's somebody I would, I would like to, to be like uh, in terms of godliness of their behavior. Consider the outcome of their way of life, Hebrews says, and imitate their faith. So that's the first thing Paul says, the power of personal example. second thing that he talks about here is also the foundation of biblical truth. We need the examples, but we also need the foundation those examples are built on and we ourselves should be built on, biblical truth. Look at verse 14. But as for you, in starts with that expression, for you, Timothy, continue
1: in what you have learned. First thing we do with biblical truth is to continue in it. You know, the, the, the
0: imposters, the evildoers may progress in wickedness. In a sense, we're to stand. We're to be
1: still. We're to continue to remain, to abide in what we have learned. Uh, he says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Um, We are to remain faithful to the
0: teachings of Scripture. Now, the church is always to be reforming. Sometimes the church seems to reform itself away from biblical truth. That's not biblical reformation. Always applying the truth, always seeking to translate the unchanging word of God to a changing world, yes, but always remaining faithful to the doctrines of Scripture, to the apostolic tradition, to that good deposit that has been passed down to us, Um, not all innovation, especially doctrinally, is good. You know, after 2,000 years of doing theology since the time of Christ, if somebody comes up with something new,
1: first, you ought to be suspicious. Second, it's not new. It's probably just an old error that has been
0: dragged out, dusted off polished up and presented as something new and wonderful that will bring Julian's to Christ. That's often the motivation for departure from orthodoxy is, a, is, is an expressed desire to make the Christian faith more accommodating and more acceptable, strangely enough, to unbelievers in a good intention to to, to win them. Now, it's just a few teachings, just a few um, examples from Scripture. Luke five thirty nine. no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Some translations, the old is better. 2 John 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. 1 John two twenty four. let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, or remain in you. For what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So we're always digging deeper in God's truth, always seeking to apply it in new ways Uh, And yet there's a sense in which the Christian continues in what he has learned and has become convinced of, has firmly believed. Continue in that, what he needs to do. Don't be drawn aside by these false teachers with their theological innovations, whatever. Continue in the truth you have received from God, from Christ, through the apostles, in the scriptures. But also, he says, think about the source of it. Continue in it, but remember where it came from. Knowing from whom you learned it. Now, the whom there, depending on some of the manuscripts, could be singular or could be plural. Uh, if it's singular, it refers to Paul. And Paul has already said a, a couple of times, what you have learned from me. So that, that may well be. Paul simply saying, remember who you learned it from, me, from whom you have learned it. Uh, Paul says, from me. If it's plural, it probably includes his grandmother and his mother, who were referred to in chapter 1. Again, Paul's sort of pointing back at himself.
1: Remember who you heard this from.
0: But he also goes on to say, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And there probably is a reference, uh, as he said back in chapter 1 to Timothy, uh, that he heard this um, growing up in his family. He heard it, faith, it dwelt first in his grandmother Lois, in uh, his mother Eunice, uh, Remember from whom you've learned these truths, certainly from Paul, also from his godly grandmother, his godly mother. And the same thing would apply to us. We think about the source of of truth. Where did you hear the gospel? Who are those people you learn the gospel from? Not perfect, then can devastate. But on the whole, you look at those you learn the gospel from and you see integrity.
1: You see lives that are not falling apart. You see strength, you see peace, as opposed to those from whom you learn error, whom you learn falsehood. And so Paul says, continue in it,
0: remember the source of it, knowing from whom you learned it, how long you've known it from childhood. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And then this final thing we want to look at before we close, just reflecting on the power of it, of this, this bedrock
1: biblical truth. Which The sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. See, the the teaching of these false teachers may make you wise for sin, but it's
0: the scriptures that make you wise for salvation. Consider from whom you've learned it, but also consider
1: where you've learned it. From the scriptures, a book that has been changing lives, has been... Uh, at work in, in marriages, in lives, in whole
0: cultures and societies, uh, to to bring them upward for two thousand years, as the grace of God is at work through His Word. That's a magnificent statement. The Scriptures, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and in a sense, Paul captures the whole purpose of the Bible. What is the Bible about? Well, it's not to teach you how to be a better person. It's not to teach you how to make your life work. It's to show you what God has done for you in Christ and to call you to faith in him, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. So Paul is effectively saying, look, Timothy, continue in the truth that you've known, you're convinced of, remember who you heard it from, remember how long you've been hearing it, and remember, too, the power that it has had in your life and the lives of many others. it change them. We draw them out of darkness into light, out of sin into godliness, out of degradation into wholesomeness and holiness in Christ. But what about you? We're in the same fix Timothy is. We still live in a world that's not yet fully redeemed. Uh, in fact, even in our own hearts, we wrestle with that remnant fallen nature, don't we? But we are to be a people while in the world, not of the world. Here in this world and yet distinct from it. How do we do that? Well, we need the power of examples to see what it looks like. Who are your examples? Who are you an example to? Well, we also need to make sure that our feet are firmly planted on the bedrock of biblical
1: proof. As Paul says to the Ephesians, talking about spiritual warfare, having done all to stand. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Paul. Uh, He
0: is an example to us, even through the pages of Scripture. But Father, we also thank you for the examples, the living, breathing, flesh and blood examples that we've had the privilege to know in our own lives. And Father, for the opportunity that you have given us to be examples of what it means to follow Christ to, to others as well. And Father, we also thank you for your word, this biblical Uh, truth that you have given to us, the holy scriptures, which are able to make us wise for salvation, to draw us to Christ and to keep us growing in Christ. And Father, we pray that that would be at work in our lives. And we give you thanks and pray, Lord, that we would indeed be your distinct, your holy, your
1: set-apart people in the world, shining light in a dark place. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.